Um, as a, a church, we have a ministry called the Outreach Team, Outreach Ministry, um, where we look at things locally, at local ministries that we're involved in, and we look at our global partners as well that are serving around the world. Um, right now, we've gone through a transition period where some members of the Outreach Team have become so fully involved in the ministries that they've become a part of that they don't have the capacity to be on the team anymore, and I'd, that's an all right problem to have. Um, but we need teammates. We need uh, a team to come together that will coordinate and support and get behind um, what we're doing as a church. And it doesn't mean that we're asking you to do all of Chapel Hill's outreach. That's not what this is about. Um, but if you would be interested at all in being a part of coordinating those efforts. And we have, we have captains in this church that that have grabbed a hold of specific ministries and they do all the work and, and this team's job is to coordinate and particularly to bring attention and reminders about our global partners around the world. Um, if this is something that you think you can help out with, just come and see me at any time. Um, we're looking to build that team. So that's an opportunity for you. All right, let's go back now to where we're at in this amazing story of Jesus Christ the conversations that Jesus was having with his disciples were getting pretty serious. Jesus announced that he was leaving after spending three incredible years with these 12 men, his disciples, and so many others. And so imagine what's going through the disciples' minds. What's going to happen to us? What, what is life going to be like now without Jesus? Cannot imagine and then remembering what he also just said, they had to be processing his words about asking anything in his name and he would do it for them. He'd been taking care of them for the past three years or so. What about now? And as they gaze at him, maybe they're wondering, Jesus, can, will you still fill my bucket? And I have this, this scenario that has, has <laughs> popped up in my mind and this is not... This is not, don't be looking and going, what version is he getting this from? That's, that's not what this is, okay? You're not going to find this analogy. You're not going to find this picture in the scriptures, only in kind of a figurative way. But in my mind, I have the disciples having just learned what they've learned about Jesus leaving and reeling from this. And I pull Peter into the picture because I love Peter. And I pull him into the picture in my mind and I have... Peter processing this and, and he's very dramatic and so he's panicking, he's responding very strongly and he's in his mind, this, there's this building anxiety and he's going, Jesus, are you going to be able to fill my bucket when you're gone? Because he's seen it. He's seen how Jesus fills his bucket. He saw it in the feeding of the 5,000. Remember how many leftovers there were? There were 12 lunch pails full of leftovers, one for each of the disciples. And Peter's thinking back to that, going, you filled, you filled my bucket. You filled my bucket all along. You filled my nets with fish. You've been providing for me. Will you still be able to fill my bucket when you're gone? And, and I have this picture of Jesus looking at Peter and just gently smiling and shaking his head. And Peter's freaking out, going, what does that mean? No? Are you telling me no, you can't do it? And in my head, what I see is Jesus going, Peter, you're going to need a bigger bucket. Are you forgetting what I've done for you? 
Are you forgetting that I have just made some incredible promises to you? That I am going to prepare a place for you and I'm coming back for you. And he's made these promises and he's just saying, Peter, don't ever underestimate me. You're going to need a bigger bucket. Remember the things I've just said to you. He also promised that they were going to do greater works than he had done while he was with them. He invited them to ask for anything in his name. Provision would be there. He promised to do what they asked him to do. Their buckets were not empty. He would provide for them. But he had just started showing them what he'd done for them. There's a lot more that's about to be poured into their buckets in the words that Jesus is about to speak. Before we read today's passage, I want to challenge you with this. Um, I'm willing to bet that you, like me, have a tendency to underestimate Jesus. We see him as the just enough to get by God. We expect him to provide us with enough encouragement, provision, and promises to help us survive this life while we await the one to come. So this morning, join me as we look very clearly at one conversation that Jesus has with his disciples, just one. And ask yourself if you have been underestimating Jesus. Or maybe like me, you just haven't been seeing or embracing what he's already promised you. You've heard it. It's there. It's truth to you. But you're not embracing it. This conversation between Jesus and his disciples was once again intended for you and me as well and not just for them. So church, tell the enemy to shut up at this point. He doesn't have a voice in this. Tell Jesus that you're only going to listen to him, to his words. You're going to do this with your eyes open to see what he's promised us. Jesus is a generous shepherd who loves his sheep. This is John chapter 14, verses 15 through 31. Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, thank you John for putting that in there and clarifying that. The other Judas said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not To the world, because that's what they expected. This was their hero who had come to take over. Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, 
He will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. And I want to acknowledge here that it is possible that you got stuck as soon as we read verse 15. If you have any legalistic, religious obligation bone in your body, you internally rolled your eyes or puffed up your chest or shrunk down in shame at verse 15. And we're going to get to the keep my commandments thing in just a few minutes. It's the second part of what I want to look at here this morning. But the first thing that I want us to see is the impressive list of loving promises that Jesus makes here. This is Jesus making the first move. He loves first. And so I want us to see his love first before we look at the commandment comment that comes in here as well. There are multiple promises that I see here. Eight that I want us to highlight. And church, soak this in. This is Jesus making you some promises. Listen well. Receive well. The first promise is that of the Holy Spirit in verses 16 and 17. This is the one that we're going to spend the most time on because it is huge. Jesus promised us there another helper. He's talking about the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And the Greek word used in the original manuscripts of the book of John is the word paraclete. The Greek word paraclete, and this word referring to God's spirit, also the spirit of Jesus, has been translated as helper, comforter, advocate, and counselor. It literally means the one who has been called alongside. The Holy Spirit has been called alongside us to help us and comfort us. The Holy Spirit has been called alongside us to be our advocate and our counselor. And note that Jesus said, and this is maybe the first time I've noticed this, note that Jesus said, another helper. Another helper. The Holy Spirit was not the first helper to be sent alongside mankind. Jesus was. And the Holy Spirit is the perfect replacement for Jesus. So who is the Holy Spirit? Well, he is God, and here are some of the things that we see about him in the Bible, and this is a A fast list, don't worry about getting all these down. He has intellect, emotion, and will. He teaches, testifies, leads, and directs, gives guidance, convicts, speaks, 
intercedes, and reveals. He is eternal, omniscient, he knows all things, omnipresent, he is everywhere, and is omnipotent, he has unlimited power. He even has the power to give life. He has created, he has inspired scripture, he's regenerated sinners like you and me, and sanctified or transformed believers like you and me. He reveals truth to followers of Jesus. Did you get all that down? I could spend weeks, and maybe sometime we will, just digging into who the Holy Spirit is. Absolutely remarkable stuff. In Ephesians 5.18, Paul exhorts us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In Galatians 5, Paul also exhorts us to walk in the Spirit. He's telling us to embrace the promise that Jesus made. He's calling us to pursue the presence and the power of His Spirit in our lives. And this is what God has done through his spirit. In the Garden of Eden, things started out with God walking through the garden, walking among all that he had created with Adam and Eve. And then sin separated us from God. It broke that union. Since then, God has been moving closer to us, getting closer to us all the time. He spoke to us from heaven and through his prophets long ago. Then he sent helper number one, Jesus to walk among us here on earth, but only for a limited time. And then, did it end? Did we just get separated from God again? No. No. God drew closer to us in Jesus, but then God moved even closer. He came to live in us by his Spirit. In us. Can't ignore this promise, this reality. God has come to live in us through the Holy Spirit. Don't ignore this part of our relationship with God. His power and presence in our lives becomes real because His Spirit lives in us. So go after the Spirit. Be constantly being filled with God's Spirit every day. That promise is available to be fulfilled in our lives, and we'll learn more about the Holy Spirit as we go. Life without the Spirit is not the life that Jesus came to give us. What he came to give us, that abundant life that he mentions in John 10.10, included, was focused entirely around the fact that his Spirit would move into our lives. That's the abundant life he was talking about. All right, next promise. This is what I see Jesus promising us next in our passage. In verse 18, Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. He'd been so many things to the disciples during their time with him. We looked last week at what he meant to John. He was dearly loved by all of them, not just John. Now imagine being in a circle of friends where the obvious leader of that group, of that circle of friends, just happened to be perfect. He treated you perfectly, spoke to you without thoughtless expression. He was always encouraging, affirming, and challenging you. You knew that his love for you was unconditional. He provided everything you needed. He was a friend, a brother, a mentor, a rabbi, a father. He was everything to you and somehow to every member of the group as well. And now he says he's leaving. And church, listen, we we got a taste of who Jesus is through the gift of the Bible. We've received a picture, even though it's incomplete. And as we deepen our relationship with Jesus, he quickly becomes for us 
all of who he was for the disciples back then. And I know that he doesn't want us to have a limited perspective on his time with us, the three years that we see in the Bible. The biblical account of his life is not all that we have of Jesus. He has not left us as orphans after what we read in the Bible. He lives in us through his spirit. And he's coming back for us as well as the 12 disciples that he did ministry with during that time. And then there's this massive promise in verse 19. He says, because I live, you also will live. And Jesus taught us a lot about death and life and has promised all of his followers that we do not need to fear death. We do not need to fear the end of this temporal life that we're living right now. Death's sting has been removed. This isn't all that there is We are not racing down a highway that leads to death as its destination. We're alive and will be alive forever. His disciples would get to see proof. They saw and interacted with the risen Jesus. And and after Easter, um, in a little while, we're going to dig into some of those interactions that happen after the resurrection. We're going to examine the evidence for the resurrection. We live in the reality of that resurrection And then Jesus moves on to another promise in verse 20. He says, In that day when he rises from the dead, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. On a a regular basis here at this church, you have heard me use the term in Christ. As adopted sons and daughters of God, we live our lives in Christ. He lives in us by his spirit. We live in him by a lot of things. Um, Next Sunday, we're going to move into John 15, the passage on the vine and the branches. Jesus will bring us a lot more clarity to this in the words that he's about to speak, and so we're going to leave this one alone for now. But what a promise. Jesus in me, and I in Jesus. Me in Jesus. Okay, that's only four of the eight promises that I see. The next one's found in verse 21. Jesus says, and he who loves me, which we'll get to in a bit, will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will manifest my love to him. And that, honestly, is enough for me right there. I'll take that promise and be done. Jesus promises to love me. He does love me. I know this, and not just because the Bible tells me so. I know this with every aspect of my being. I know that he loves me. I found my security and my significance in his love for me. I found my identity in his love for me. I found comfort and strength and joy and peace and on and on I could go. Jesus loves me. God loves me. I am loved. You are loved. Jesus came because God loves us. Jesus died because God loves us. Jesus rose from the dead because God loves us. Jesus is coming back, church, because God loves us. That's a guarantee. Where do you go from there? Well, how about verse 23? Because he keeps going. And says, and we will come to him, the person who loves Jesus, and make our home with him. Imagine that. 
In spite of how messy my life is, in spite of how much of a mess I've made of things because of selfishness and pride and my quest for earthly security, God the Father and God the Son, by the presence of the Holy Spirit, have moved into my life. They accept me, affirm me, and desire to be with me. They're not cutting me down for not having the nicest place for them to dwell. They make it nice by being there. My life is on the tour of homes because God dwells there. I don't have to clean it all up to make it worthy of him. He comes in and he does the cleaning and he makes it worthy. What a promise. Two more to go. Look at verse 26. Jesus says, The Spirit will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And for the disciples, I would imagine that they were distraught over the idea that they would no longer have Jesus there to teach them. And we can connect with this. If I read through all of Jesus' teachings several times and learn them to the best of my ability, I'm not done learning. Jesus gave us his spirit to continue the teaching. The spirit opens our eyes and our minds and our hearts to the things of God. And if we invite him to and pursue what he has to offer and take the gift, we never stop learning. We never stop learning from the Bible and we never stop increasing our learning through God's spirit directly as he speaks to us. One more, this is one that we've talked about recently. Verse 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Uh, Remember this word, irene, Remember that? That's what Jesus is talking about here. The tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ and so fearing nothing from God and content with its earthly lot of whatsoever sort that is. That peace. That's what Jesus is talking about. That's what he offers us. That's what he has left us. Listen to the contrast. In the last 5,500 years, 8,000 peace treaties in this world have been broken. More than 14,000 wars have been fought, resulting in about 4 billion casualties. This world hasn't given us peace. Jesus brought peace. He brought peace with God. He brought his peace. The world offers momentary peace that comes through self-indulgence, materialism, romance, substance abuse, false religion, psychotherapy, and a, a slew of other means. It cannot offer us what Jesus can. Jesus offers us his peace. Oh, church, can you see the love that Jesus has for us here? Just look at the promises that Jesus made. And as always, he keeps his promises. His love for us is boundless. No bucket can hold it. So how do I respond to a love like that? After receiving all those promises from Jesus and so many more that he spoke in the Bible, what's my response? What's your response? Well, I love him. How can I not? Look at what he's done for me. I love Jesus. The disciples loved Jesus, but Jesus loved us first. 
He's not giving me a condition for his love. He's not about to say, if you obey my commandments, I'll consider loving you. He's about to reveal to us his love language. What response could we offer him out of our love for the one who loved us first? Here it is. He shows us several times. Verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Verse 24, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And verse 31, I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Do you love Jesus? So I give you permission to answer audibly. I'm going to ask that question again. Do you love Jesus? Then let's give him what makes him glad. Give him your devotion. Obey his words. In John's letters later in the Bible, John wrote several times that our love for Jesus is demonstrated in our obedience to him. Obedience is not an act of religious obligation, it's an act of love. Jesus loves us, by, among other things, by fulfilling his promises to us. We love Jesus, listen, by fulfilling our promises to him. We obey what he tells us, we submit to his leadership, not out of obligation, out of love, and this interaction between us and Jesus is what's behind God giving us marriage as a model of the kind of relationship that Jesus has with his bride, the church. Jesus is looking for followers who cast aside all concerns except obedience to Jesus. Church, love him, not for what he can do for you or will do for you. He's already done it. Love him for who he is. Remember that he loved us first. God demonstrated his love for us by sending Jesus. Jesus promised us so much. That bucket of ours is full. Now let's love him back and obey him. At the end of our passage, Jesus mentioned that he does whatever the Father commands him to do so that the world will know that he loves his Father. We do whatever Jesus commands us to do so that the world will know that we love God and they will find God through that obedience. Our obedience is is a continuation of the ministry of Jesus Christ. He lived his whole life in obedience to his Father. That's what he's handing off to us as a ministry. Obey him. Show him your love through obedience to him. Listen to this. We can, we can see that we're to obey Jesus out of our love for Jesus, a result of his love for us. Now listen, obedience, we have to understand this, obedience without love is nothing more than the pursuit of self-righteousness. That's all it is without the love. Now can you hear Jesus summing up his commandments in the Bible? What did he say? He said, love God and love your neighbor. 
out of love, in obedience to Jesus, we love. Love's at the root of all Jesus' commandments. Not tyranny, not a massive ego, not insecurity, not power or status. Love. Period. Jesus loves us boundlessly and overwhelms us with his promises. And then showing us how we can best please him, he commands us to obey by loving. One little thing that hit me, do you know what this implies? It strongly implies that the antidote for disobedience, which we all struggle with, is not obedience. It's love. Now, mic drop. The end of verse 31, Jesus says, rise, let us go from here. Just cuts it off. And they left the upper room and they started their walk towards the Garden of Gethsemane. But he kept teaching as they walked. And so keep listening. Please keep listening. Jesus is making his way towards the cross where he will powerfully demonstrate his love for God through his willing obedience to his Father. God's will, Jesus said as hard as it would be, said yes to everything that God was asking him to do. So Chapel Hill, our huge buckets are full of Jesus' promises. He loves us. He's promised us more than we could ever need. And by the way, what has this world promised us? Can it promise us anything? It can't. And it doesn't love us. But Jesus does. His love for us never fails. Even when we're acting as if we're more devoted to the world than we are to Jesus. He keeps loving. He remains faithful to us. So let's love him back. Let's love him back. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up now. and We're going to close our time um, with a little worship for God's unfailing love. We're going to worship him for what he's done for us, for that first step that he's taken, how he initiated things with us. So I'm going to ask you to stand right now. We're going to pray together and remain standing as we go right into worship from this prayer, okay? Let's pray, and I want you to just take a moment with your eyes closed so nothing distracts you. Just get, get quiet and still in your heart And listen to Jesus saying to you, you're going to need a bigger bucket. Recall the promises that Jesus has made for you. Recall the love that God has for you. And even in this moment, in some way, through a thought expressed directly to him, let him know that you love him. You're grateful for all that he's done. You're grateful for all the promises that Jesus made to you that he has fulfilled, that he is fulfilling.
Let him know that in response to his boundless love for you, you love him. Tell him that you love him. You resolve in your heart right now that in response to his, his love for you, response to all the promises that Jesus made you. You're going to respond to him in a way that makes him glad. You are going to obey. You're going to begin by loving God and loving your neighbor. Father, I thank you this morning for the incredible waterfall of love that you've poured over us. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the characteristics of your love that are so powerful and so compassionate. Thank you for all that you can promise to us and fulfill. For how strongly that stands in contrast to what this world has to offer us, to what our culture promises us, to what the enemy promises us, and, and none of it, none of it can be fulfilled. But then there's Jesus who makes us promise after promise after promise after promise. God, thank you for loving us first. Teach us to love you back in a, in a way that just makes your heart sing. Teach us to obey. Remove whatever misconceptions we have of you regarding the limits of what you offer us, regarding promises that we think can't be kept let us get down to the purity of your love. And without religious obligation, without any legalistic thought whatsoever, lead us to you in humble submissiveness to your will, in obedience to what you've taught us. God, we love you. Praise you for your love, for who you are, name of the first helper, in the name of Jesus Christ, your son. Lord, fill us with your spirit.